Hey gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire, and I'm once again bringing you Beyond the Board to talk to other teachers this time about teaching board games. So I have two very special guests with me. I have Mike Kelly, who is from One Stop Co-op Shop, and we have collaborated many times before. And I also have a new friend, Eric Slauson, who is a former middle school English teacher who now does ed tech. Mike is a high school language arts teacher and I teach high school Latin, which is definitely the lamest of the three. So <laughs> how are you gentlemen doing tonight? Excellent. And as, as two English teachers, I think, you know, we both have roots in Latin, you know, um, if I can use a, a pun there, uh, Latin roots are very important to us and vocabulary and SATs and other things. So, you know, thank you for, for what you do. <laughs> <laughs> See, see, based on what Eric just said, I think that he's already a better language arts teacher than I was. Well, I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wait, I, I know about those, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we can, we can fix that on the side. I got you. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's for after the call. So I actually have a question for y'all. So we're all teachers. Do you often find yourselves in the role of teaching games to other people, either in your game group, or I know Eric, that you teach in your classroom as well games. Yeah. Um, I tend to bring, um, kind of the new games to my game group, whether it's something that might be, you know, just like in, in the hotness of the, the industry or, uh, more frequently something I have just kind of randomly found on Kickstarter or Amazon. Um, I tend to buy a lot of like weird games. Um, so, uh, I, you know, am the person who brings it to the, to the table and, uh, teaches everybody kind of how to play or the person who reads the rule book and kind of tries to like simplify it <laughs> uh, <laughs> there at the table. Yeah, and I'm I'm the same. I especially now that I'm reviewing games and getting review copies. Back when we were meeting in person and before quarantine, I would bring new games often and teach them to everybody. And then as a designer, of course, at cons and stuff, it's just endless teaching, <laughs> you know, and yes. and play testing. Yeah, Eric, you know all about that. Yeah. And uh and then even now with kind of online gaming being a hotter thing with uh, coronavirus and all that. Uh, through our Slack at One Stop Co-op Shop and all of that, I've been doing a lot of teaching on a tabletop simulator. Like people will just be like, I want to learn this game and we'll just jump on uh, TTS together and I'll kind of walk them through it. So yeah, I feel like I'm doing more game teaching now than I almost ever have, uh, which is fun for me. I enjoy it. That's awesome. So I actually have a horrible confession to make, which is I do teach games to students a lot at Game Club. But I'm horrible about bringing and teaching games at game night because everyone I play with always has the newest, hottest Kickstarter and wants to play it. Uh -huh. And I usually won't have bought it. So I've actually been accused of using my game group to learn games. And it's totally true. <laughs> I just I just thank them for their time. Sure. <laughs> yeah, why else? Why else would you have a game group? Yeah. Spread the, <laughs> spread the love. <laughs> but, um, you know... This is a controversial term, but I figured who better than teachers to talk about, quote, the teach mm -hmm. of a game. Because we talk a lot about what order to teach things in or what order to teach the rules in or, you know, oh, have a sample turn, like all the technical stuff. But I also think that as teachers, we think a lot about kind of the energy that we bring to our teach in quotation marks. <laughs> Right. And also the environment that we're creating for people 
to learn. And I, I think that that fits interestingly into conversations about gaming, accessibility, making people feel welcome at the table. So I have consulted both of you, both you're both game designers and you're both teachers. So who better to have this conversation? Than you <laughs> there, are, there are dozens of us. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Count, countless people are better to talk about this, but we will do our best. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here, here we are. Let's. <laughs> so, Eric, you actually have you both design games for the classroom, and uh, you, you know, you have designed several. So, mm-hmm. what is your approach to testing games with students, to designing games that are meant to work with them? Let's start with the kids, and we'll extrapolate out to teaching other adults. Sure. Um, so I guess when I'm you're designing a game that's going to be used in the classroom, you know, when you're designing a, a lesson or um, a unit, there's always kind of what we call in, in education, like a learning objective. Um, and that's like what you want the student to know at the end of the lesson or what skill do you want them to grow during the lesson. Um, and in normal tabletop design, you know, you might think like mechanics first or theme first. Um, and there's some of that in um, in like kind of educational game design, but you had kind of have to keep in mind the the through line of what do you want the the students to learn or what do you want the players to learn and ideally uh all of that gets married together into a nice uh game gumbo uh, and uh <laughs> like they they learn while playing um you know the i think as kids we all played like you know kind of roll to move games in in elementary school or middle school where you you roll to a spot and you answer a trivia question and then you keep going or whatever um but oh then God. it's essentially just <laughs> trivia with with dice you know um and so the ones that actually um the experiences that actually get uh students engaged are the ones that are like actually fun um and have kind of engaging mechanics or um kind of a a flow to them that where they can kind of either feel like the person who is during that event like the historical event you're talking about or they are kind of inside the you know whatever the cell that you're trying to teach or you know they're physically moving around the periodic table or whatever you're you're having them do it's it's trying to one of the big challenges of teaching is is making things feel real um and and um you know when you're when you're teaching kind of vocabulary words in a vacuum um it's hard for for students to to learn them and uh, that's where a lot of gamification comes in is it it throws a context around the words or around the concepts. Um, so I think that's, that's mainly what I go to is like trying to think of a fun context to trick people into learning. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trap kids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, they're already trapped. They're in school, <laughs> but, but yeah, trap their minds. <laughs> I always think back to Hocus Pocus. Ooh, it is a prison for children. Yeah, that's <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> that's right. So I like what you're saying about context and about creating fun and engagement. 
So when I play games with my students, uh, I am actually typically looking to bond with them after school or outside of a school context. Mm -hmm. And so for me, playing games with students is explicitly about creating a non-class, non-grading kind of bond. Do you find that it's easier to bond with your students within the context of the educational games you make as well? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, Yeah, I think there's... I mean, students are very much in the, the, uh, have a lot of anxiety about assessment being assessed. Um, you know, this, some students are, are very into, you know, uh, pleasing the teacher and trying to say the exact right answer that, that you want. Um, so when I have introduced games to my students, like at, at educational games or whatever, I'm generally always like the, just like a referee or I'm like kind of way back in the back of the classroom, kind of like a, a GM or something. I'm just like helping to run the game. And then I, I let the students just kind of interact with each other um, so that they're not trying to, um, I, I guess they, they're trying to um, play with the, uh, play with each other. They're working together or they're, you know, they have a sense of competition between each other. And then occasionally I'll jump in uh, to give them that like, you know, excitement of trying to play against uh, Mr. Slauson and, and, and beat Mr. Slauson at his own game. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, in, in general, most of the time we use games um, in education as kind of like, a, um, you know, like a reward or a treat or, or whatever, um, you know, as, as a as a supplement to the normal lesson. So I think it's a great time to kind of let some of that, you know, assessment go. But as a, um, Mike, you can kind of uh, speak to this as well as a teacher and as somebody who is like constantly demoing games at, at conventions, you learn like to read people and who's not having fun and maybe why. And so part of the reason why I step back is so that I can pay attention to the students who are not engaged and try to figure out if it's because they don't know the content, they don't understand the content, you know, um, maybe they just don't think the game is fun. You know, (laughs) I can kind of parse um, that out. And then if, if I can identify the students who, who don't understand the content that I can kind of cycle back to those students um, outside of the, outside of the game. But I think during the game, yeah, it's just like, make it fun. Um, you know, make the experience fun, make the design uh, uh, fun, um, and then kind of s- step back and watch um, how students engage in the material. We have, as teachers, a a lot of times we feel like if we're not directly involved in something, we're like not teaching, you know, like if we ever are not at the front oh, yeah. of the room or if we're like sitting at our desk while the students are working on something, it feels like lazy or whatever. But if... Uh, the opposite end is like being, you know, like a helicopter teacher or like constantly meddling and micromanaging what the students are doing. And then, <laughs> you know, they're not like, they're not, then they don't have the, they're afraid to fail. They don't have experiences um, failing and then trying again, you know, um, it's, I try to give students um, some autonomy and some, some wiggle room to, to play independently. Mike, as a, do you play games with your students or is your, are you mostly teaching at cons these days? I am, 
I am an unfun teacher. <laughs> I do not play games with my students, generally speaking, except for maybe a, a rare Kahoot or something like that. Oh, Kahoot. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, even <laughs> my kids, like just this past year, for example, are like, oh, please, Mr. Kelly, bring in one of your games. We want to play it. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, maybe. And then I never do. <laughs> <laughs> maybe means no. <laughs> maybe means don't ask me and hopefully you'll forget <laughs> <laughs> so at cons though when you teach i i really like some of the stuff that eric had to say about engagement how do you know if somebody's engaged and what are some of the things that you do to kind of see if you can turn them on to the game that you're teaching so i think engagement looks similar whether you're teaching a game or teaching a concept you know you can describe it to a student leaning forward Eyes darting between things and looking at things, not checking your phone. You know, engagement is something that is usually pretty clear to see, although sometimes people will seem very disengaged and then you'll find out that they were listening attentively the entire time. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I think for a lot, like, especially for game teaching, whether it's at a convention or at game night, it's tough for me at least, but I think for most people to salvage even an early disengagement, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like definitely once you're Mm -hmm. halfway through a game, if somebody is just done with the game, that's, it's almost impossible at that point to turn them around. You might be able to make them like the game the next time you play it, but there's a good chance that they've kind of decided this is not my game. I am not enjoying this Mm -hmm. and they aren't going to change their mind. I do think there's a sweet spot in the first five to 10 minutes for you to change your strategy Because something I believe strongly in teaching games is there's no right way to do it because your audience is going to change. Right. Some people want to get started. Like they'll just fly by the seat of their pants. You can throw rules at them. Let's just start playing a turn and we'll see how it goes. Some people, especially in competitive games, need to know every rule, every (laughs) permutation, or they'll feel like you've disadvantaged them and you're messing them up and they can't win anymore. Um, luckily I tend to avoid that with solo and co-op players. And, you know, if you see that people are starting to disengage in those first five minutes, you want to switch your strategy. So if you see that everyone's kind of glazing over as you go over the rules, be like, all right, you know what? Never mind. Let's just play the first round. We'll figure it out as we go. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's one of the most important first tips I'd have for anyone teaching a game. And that goes for teaching in general. If I'm a teacher and I've made this amazing lesson, amazing in my mind, (laughs) and, you know, I start doing it with the kids and they're just like immediately out of it and nothing I thought was working, you know, is actually working. Um, It's a a rookie teacher who just sticks to the script because it's the script. Yeah. A, A teacher who is, you know, more experienced and more flexible will be ready to throw everything out pick up the pieces of what was most important and rebuild them into some other like form on the fly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've looked many a lesson plan. Have I scrapped, even though I thought <laughs> that it was going to go really well. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, uh, and even if it, uh, even if it goes well with like your first period, it might bomb with your second period and you still need to be ready to change it up. <laughs> you can't just be moaning and be like, but they like, yeah. It. Why don't you like it? <laughs> <laughs> that is painfully painfully accurate (laughs) (laughs) oh man and eric actually you hit on the two things that i think are the most interesting to talk about as teachers when it comes to teaching games so you talked about um engagement Mm -hmm. 
But you also talked about making people less afraid to fail. And I personally think this is an issue that we have in games. You know, we talk a lot about gatekeeping. I play a lot of war games, so you get a whole lot of people who want to point out, you know, the facts of the matter to you. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think that it can feel like your whole ego is on the line when you're just learning a game. Right. And how do you like to create an environment for people who are learning games from you that will make them happy to be playing the game, happy to be playing with you, and happy to be trying something again with you down the line. Yeah, I I think um, something that that Mike touched on, you know, about every kind of group being different and different situations. Um, you know, how I teach a game at a convention is going to be different than how I teach it at a at a you know board game group at a convention. I have thirty seconds to get somebody to you know be into it or not. Um, and so I have to, you know, really hit the bullet points and then kind of feel things out from there. But, um, at, at a, at a board game night, I can be, I can kind of luxuriate in my explanation a little bit more and, and, uh, feel the situation out. But I think, um, for me, one of the first things that I, I try to figure out is, um, well, first, I mean, don't, kind of you want to bring a game that your group is going to enjoy you know like uh you kind of um or maybe have like a backup game <laughs> as as mike is talking about scrapping a lesson <laughs> um you know there have been times when i was like oh you know like i was really into uh uh i also have a board game club at school and i'm like really into escape room games and I told my students about them uh, and they were like, oh, that's really cool. And so I brought like a, a Deckscape, um, which is a, a, a style of unlock game uh, or a, a, a escape room game. And um, our board games club is after school. And so I, I brought it out and I was like, this is a game I was telling you about and kind of got into the explanation. And we started the like timer to go and they were just like burned out, you know, like they had been at school for eight hours um, and it just like completely flopped. They like were not. Yeah, they they didn't want to solve riddles. Eric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like while they liked the idea of it, I should have probably thought a little bit more about, you know, context. But I had, you know, a very simple like Uno style game in my bag as a backup and they loved that. Um so, you know, kind of thinking about, um, I like having backup games. Um, I also like, as far as when we're talking about teaching, teaching the game, um, Mike talked about how there's different kinds of, of players and some people like to have all of the information. Some people kind of like to jump in. That's generally a question that I ask after I explain like how to win, you know, like, um, Elizabeth, you talked about like go in order and, and talk about this first and talk about this and talk about this. Well, after I explain like how you win or your basic turns or whatever, I generally ask, um, do you want to play a couple rounds with commentary? Like I will explain why I'm doing what I'm doing or like, as you play, I might say, Oh, that's a great move because X or, Oh, I will, uh, do you have a blue card? Because if you have a blue card, you could do, or whatever so like i generally will play like a couple rounds that are just like for practice um um in teaching we call this um i do we do you do the i do is like when the teacher explains what's going on and the i do an example on the board uh, we do is kind of we walk through it together i might do like a fill in the blank or you might be able to work with a partner or something and then you do is you doing it independently so i kind of use that 
kind of same model when I'm teaching a game. I explain it to you and then we'll do like a couple practice rounds and then we'll shuffle it back up and then kind of go from there with the uh, the you do section. Yeah, I'm actually also a big believer in the open-handed sample turn. I, I feel like it's people can act, look like they're listening to you talk, especially because adults are very good at that. I'm not even going to talk about how many faculty meetings I've like <laughs> throughout. Um, <laughs> Thank God for but, cell phones. <laughs> uh, but I, I really like the sample turn partially because I think it gives people a feel for the rhythm of the game with no pressure. And I think partially because it lets you make some of your first mistakes mm-hmm. in a no consequence environment. And I think that adults don't like to make mistakes in front of each other. I mean, kids hate it too, but at game night when everybody's trying to relax, you know, it's nothing dampens the fun. Like somebody feeling dumb in front of somebody else. Sure. Or at least I feel that way. And yeah, I think that offering sample turns is a good way to kind of mitigate that a little bit. Yeah. And also I think not just sample turns, but depending on the game, sometimes it's nice to do sample scoring rounds or sample kind of like end of the game round. I think the first one that kind of put this in my mind was uh, Dungeon Lords by Vlada Chavadal. He had you, he had the player, like this is in the rule book. He has you play through combat rounds in Dungeon Lords. You build your dungeon for heroes to come into and then you have combat and see who fights off their heroes the best. So he had you play combat rounds with a variety of like factors in play. And then he's like, all right, now look at the rules and see how you get those Mm -hmm. things. How do you get those monsters? How do you get those traps? Or uh, I'm thinking of something like uh, Jeremy Howard and I played into deep recently, which is, I think coming back to Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And that's like one with, you know, you can get points from a lot of different things. And one of you might be like the trader and you might lose a bunch of points. So just kind of seeing how all that stuff pans out. So, you know, Because, I don't know, I guess it all comes back to the idea of connections, right? Like, learning is about making connections between prior knowledge and, like, building new knowledge from that. So, it's fine for you to say, here are the five actions you can take, but those are all kind of these abstract ideas. But then if I have a sample scoring round, again, depending on the game, I can see, oh, okay, so that's how B and C kind of combine together. Oh, that's why I care about D. And then when I learn about the actions, it'll all hopefully come together much better. That makes a lot of sense. So the other thing I kind of want to talk about is, so as a teacher, I've discovered that the thing that gives me the most success in my classroom isn't anything technical that I do at all. It's creating emotional connections and a level of comfort with the people Mm -hmm. around me so that they feel safe learning from me. And I think that that's something that's really hard to create in a classroom. It takes a couple of weeks at the beginning of the year. But I also think that it's important to create that that welcoming environment at a game table, because just because you're playing with adults who, you know, drove themselves to game night doesn't mean that they don't need that feeling of emotional connection and relaxation and safety. And, you know, how how do you create that environment? people that you're teaching games to you know mike i know that some of your game sales probably depend on that eric the success of your play test with students Mm -hmm. depends on that you know um how do you do it well i guess uh liz you had mentioned a little bit earlier ego and kind of the idea of the ego at the game table and this i think Mm -hmm. applies to classroom teaching and it applies to teaching games 
in the classroom, you know, we already said you have to be flexible with your lesson. So if I'm a teacher and I think this is the greatest lesson ever, I worked really hard on this activity and it becomes more about the activity or more about me or more about my lecture than it is about actually paying attention and listening to the students and helping them to learn and meeting them where they are. That's going to be a bad lesson. That's going to be a poor, you know, opportunity for education to happen. And I think uh, games are the same way. And I think it's a really, really easy trap to fall into because, you know, all of us are gamers, all of us buy games. And we often have that situation where we buy a game we're super excited to play. Why wouldn't we buy it if we weren't really excited yep. to play? Liz, you said people bring in like Kickstarters, you know, the hot Kickstarter to the game table. And if I'm dying to play it, if I've played it solo a few times, you're setting yourself up for one of the worst game experiences you can have. Because if it's about your ego, if it's a competitive game, you're going to be... <laughs> worrying more about winning than about everybody else having a good time. You're going to worry more about winning than spreading the love of the game. So they want to play it again with mm -hmm. you. And if it's a co-op or, uh, you know, if it's a co-op game, you might worry more about winning and get into like some alpha player tendencies instead of letting other people, you know, again, meeting them where they are, listening to them, giving them the chance to do something clever. So I think that's one of the most important things first to kind of build that environment, check your own ego Check your own kind of potentially selfish desires with the game. Like, why are you bringing it to the table? If it's because you really want to play it, that's fine. But try to check that and make it about being with your friends. Make it about helping everyone to enjoy. I mean, I'll be totally honest that when I play competitive games, especially with my wife or my son, I make suboptimal moves because I don't want to win. I want to have a great experience and I want them to feel cool. doesn't mean I throw the game so they always win, but you know, I want them to see neat things and have fun with the game. So they want to play it for the long run instead of playing it once I crush them and it never gets off the shelf yeah. again. Yeah. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with throwing a game the first time that you're teaching it, especially if, you, if you've played it solo several times or you've played it a bunch at conventions or whatever, like, and you're teaching it to, you know, two or three people who've never played it before. Um, I mean, it seems somewhat, you know, kind of common sense that you wouldn't just go ham and, you know, use, <laughs> use all of your tricks that you have learned. Um, I think that, um, you know, your, your role as a, as a, somebody who's introducing the game is to sell the game and, ex and show the, the potential, um, kind of engineer some fun moments, um, you know, I think it's almost like Mike, what you're saying, like the, like the opposite of having an ego and playing a game that, um, because like you enjoy it and you like winning at it. Um, it's more about almost like being like a, like a Dungeons and Dragons GM. Like it's, you're, you're yeah. trying to make a fun experience for everybody else. And if that means, you know, losing on purpose or if that means kind of um you know you have like a really harsh take that um option that you decide not to do or whatever um like i think that's fine especially the very first time you teach a game um now if everybody knows the rules then you can kind of you know start going to town uh <laughs> on your friends but i think the very first time your job is to make their experience fun it has nothing to do with like whether you know you win or whether you have fun um 
you know, I, at least that's that's how I see it. And we have a slightly different situation in conventions because most of the time you're not playing a full game. You're playing like a few rounds just so they understand the mechanic. Um, and you can kind of like stack the deck so that cool interactions happen, um, you know, during those turns. Um uh, that's a bit. That's like a little a trick for that demoers do a lot of times is kind of organize the cards so that it looks like you're you're passing them out randomly, but really it's like the ideal super hype turn. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, oh wow, you could do that four card combo on your first turn. That's really crazy. How yeah. crazy! You're really good at this. You're you want to buy it? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think you know maybe not to that degree, but. I, I definitely think a first play experience when you're introducing the game to other people is about the other people. Um, so I don't have any problem, you know, throwing, throwing a game or, or um, not being as active of a, of a player, I guess, as I, as I normally would in a game where everybody knows the rules. Yeah. And to add on, I think part of building that nice environment is I, I kind of already mentioned this a little bit, but just giving everyone the opportunity to shine, giving everyone the opportunity to look cool at least once. In a classroom setting, you know, you want to, every time a student gives an answer, find the nugget of goodness in yep. there and con- congratulate them for that. Yes. <laughs> Even if 90% of it is totally wrong. It's like, oh, I love the way your brain is thinking right now. That's a really great way to go. You know, so, and I think kind of what Eric was saying, like in a competitive game, you don't play the take that card. If you see one player is really not doing well and hasn't gotten the chance to be cool, heck, man, I'll just like throw myself on their sword. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, why'd I go there? Oh no, look what you could do to me now. (laughs) (laughs) So, on that note, how do you, you know, and this is actually even harder, right? In a classroom, students expect you to, you know, correct them, to coach them a little bit. It's a little bit different among peers. Uh, and, and adult people, but how do you handle correcting mistakes and coaching people who seem to be struggling in a way that is helpful and welcoming and not condescending? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's tricky. That, yeah, it's really tricky. Um, I think that, <laughs> oh man, um, uh, I think it, games um, are very delicate um, in, in a in a classroom setting, if a student says something that is like maybe a little bit wrong or whatever, I kind of, you know, teachers make like thousands of split second decisions over the day. And one of the split second decisions is like, okay, do I correct their grammar for that? You know, like grammatically that sentence is not correct, but like the answer is correct. So like, I'm going to let that slide or, you know, oh, they said the right name, but they kind of pronounced it wrong. Like, I think everybody in the room understands what they were trying to say. So I'm going to let that slide. So like, I think if a, if a player plays a card that they like, legally can't play you know you have to kind of jump on that and say like oh you can't play that because it you know you need x number of power or whatever to play it um and i think you just you have you have to do it because it will it will break the game if you don't but if they're making like suboptimal moves or you know like i don't know you can tell they the move is valid, but it might not be in their best interest. That's when you get into that, that kind of gray area of, of um, 
of asking like, mm, <laughs> you know, do you have any, you know, do you have any attack cards? Because if you do, you know, you can do this or, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's, that's where that, that first conversation comes in with the players at the table. Like, do you want me to correct you? You know, um, do you want me to s- kind of give commentary as you're playing or do you just want to see like how the game works and flows and, and that kind of stuff? And I'll just jump in if, if anything gets like, you know, broken. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, was gonna say, I think there's some tonal aspects to it too. So I think for me, when I'm correcting people, I always try to do it with a smile. I try to keep it really casual and relaxed. And even if it's the 20th mistake of the same kind, and I'm kind of starting to lose some of my sanity and I'm starting to wonder if this is a Lovecraft game. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I find that I try to never outwardly show that I'm losing my patience. Yeah. Because I think that there's no better way to shut somebody out than to make it clear that I'm tired yes. of them. And I feel like it's my duty yeah, not to. <laughs> that's very that's a very powerful point. Um, you don't want, you know... Um, you don't want to make somebody feel like they are an annoyance um, or that their questions are slowing the game down or, or anything like that. Um, you know, I think, again, this is, I think one of the reasons you, you, you had me and Mike on here is we have like all of these things in like our teacher toolbox that are little like mental uh, tricks or whatever, like things like saying, that's a good question. Even if it's not, you know, <laughs> like we all are like, Oh man, that's a really good question. And then explaining it, even if, uh, if, you know, you've explained it a couple times before or saying like, you know, like when I learned the game, like that didn't make sense to me either, you know, kind of like throwing yourself, uh, you know, uh, kind of on their same level of confusion. So there's like, you know, it's, there's a lot of things that, that we do um, as teachers and our, our infinite patience uh, that <laughs> I think you can, you can use um, when you're teaching a game. And a lot of it, as, as you said, Liz, like is, a, is about um, uh, it's just patience and, and teaching with a smile and understanding that they have no, they have never seen this game before, you know, like you may have played it a hundred times or whatever. And, you know, this is their first time seeing that icon or learning that really, you know, edge case rule or whatever. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta have a lot of patience. You know, that being said, there are some gamers that I am tired with. Don't call me out, Mike. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're <laughs> lovely. Liz. You know, a lot of times when we're gaming students, teenagers are very malleable i won't say adults aren't but you know i I give i give my students a lot of grace uh when like a 40 year old has over years calcified (laughs) the way they think and the way they act you know like i I still try to be nice to them but some people are just bad gamers in a lot of ways you know like in in demoing my games, in playing, luckily with no one in my game group, you know, but like in playing at conventions with random people that I meet, you know, there there are gamers who are bad winners, there are gamers who are bad losers, but the stuff that gets on my nerves more kind of going to what you're talking about, Liz, is, you know, people who are like, don't help me at all, don't tell me anything, I'm going to play the way I want, and then when I lose horribly, I'm going to say the game sucks. And it's like, well, that, that is a horribly destructive mindset, I don't know why you game at all, 
but that's what you've decided you want your life to be. So I'm not going to waste my energy <laughs> trying to change <laughs> you 45 year old person to be the way that I want you to be. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. You can't, uh, sometimes you just gotta, you know, let people kind of be how they are. Um, uh, when you're in a, in a, in your gaming group, you know, you have, I think, uh, over time you feel out people's personalities and and you know everybody kind of gives each other a lot of leeway but as you're playing with with strangers at a convention or um whether you're demoing or you just grab something from the library and put up you know players wanted or something like that um you're going in blind and so you know if you are teaching to, to somebody you know this this uh, not uncommon gamer that mike is talking about um yeah <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know, kind of, they've kind of made that choice and, you know, you, you just kind of, I don't know, take their criticisms with a grain of salt and um, I don't know, hope it doesn't kind of poison the experience of the, the other players. Yeah. So my game night is actually a public mm-hmm. meetup technically. So I, I miss it terribly right now because it's at a game store. And so I actually feel like I have a different set of ethical obligations at that mm-hmm. game night because strangers can yeah. come and want to play with you. And I actually think this is the last thing that teachers are trained to do that maybe we don't always think about at game night because we want to go play with our friends. And that is don't you know, no child left behind, no gamer yeah. left behind. Right? <laughs> if there's somebody who's kind of on the edge of the game, somebody who clearly wants to play and doesn't know how to engage, somebody who's watching the action at the table and kind of awkwardly standing there waiting to be invited in, I think that if you're at a public event, even if the person turns out to be a jerk, even if it is an, a non-ideal gamer, right? I think part of embodying like that good teacher attitude yep. right, is, is, is inclusion. Hey, do you want to sit down? You know, we don't have, you know, we're going to be playing this game for a while, but do you want to sit with me and see what I'm doing? You know, anything to invite somebody else in. So how do you guys engage people who look like they might want in but they're not totally sure how to be part of your group. Oh man, Liz, I mean I'm I'm more socially awkward than I might <laughs> seem. <laughs> you're, you're you're acting like I'm an expert at this, but uh <laughs> I don't know that I am. Uh, I mean I, I don't know. I, I have more experience with this as a teacher, kinda like you said. Like I remember when I was running a uh an improv comedy group at my school, somehow I got kind of like all the uh the misfit toys, you know, from the island and the uh, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer yeah. uh, special, <laughs> you know, and and I would just throw them into something quickly. So I guess maybe that could work for games. Like, hey, you know, like if, if I have a filler there or I have something quick, it's like, hey, like, you know, I, I don't want to. <laughs> Both for them in case they don't gel with the group and for me in case they don't gel with us, you know, like play something that's 15 minutes and then uh, be like, hey, that was great. Okay, we're going to play this one. It's only four players. Sorry. But thanks for being here. <laughs> you know, if it's uh, <laughs> if it all crashes and burns. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. This is actually something that uh, causes me stress. Like I, I'm the person who like is at a convention with my friends and someone walks over and I my heart rate goes up. <laughs> so it's something I need to get better at. Yeah, I think I think it's it's keeping an eye out for people who are who are watching. And um, I tend to. uh kind of you know try to engage with the people who are who are just watching um and ask you know like 
Um, oh, have you played this before? Is, is generally the, the question that I ask, um, because if they say yes, we can have like a little friendly conversation like, oh, yeah, I really like it or whatever. And if they say no, I can kind of give them kind of a pitch for why it is fun um, and then maybe have like a side conversation like, oh, we're already in, in the game. But like, you know, I might play again after this or you want to try to meet up or something like that. I think it's uh, if you're in the middle of a game, you know, that that's kind of all you can do is invite them to watch and get a, get a feel for it. Um, but I, I think that, you know, when you're in the position of like running a public meetup or you're, um, um, I don't know, even, even at a convention, you see somebody who doesn't have a group. Um, I go to a lot of conventions solo. Um, and something that I, that I appreciate people have, have done is like, if I can't, you know, join their, their game. Um, they might recommend like, um, a similar game, uh, that I might be able to like get to the table more easily. Um, uh, especially if like, you know, it's, it's all checked out of the library or something like that. Like, Oh, you know, try this one. You know, it's, it's, it's a solo or it's a, like you were saying, Mike, it's a, it's a filler version of this to, um, to see if you like it. But I think you, yeah, just, just ask people, in a nice way, why they are watching. <laughs> uh, you know, like, oh, have you played this before? Or, you know, um, you, you most of the time can't ask, do you want to play, you know? Um, but right. you might ask them like, Hey, like what kind of stuff do you like to play? Or why does this look interesting? And, and then, you know, ideally, you know, maybe that conversation goes long enough that, you know, the game you're playing ends or they feel comfortable enough watching until the end of that game. And then they can sit in on the next one or something like that. But, um, you know, just don't ignore somebody who's standing awkwardly over (laughs) by the the edge of your table, you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I actually went to my very first convention by myself. It was Dice Tower Con. And, you know, I was already a Dice Tower contributor, but I mean, I'm still not a big deal and I really wasn't a big deal then. So, So we, I thought, we think you're a big deal. I know you're a big deal to me. <laughs> I appreciate it. Teacher encouragement <laughs> right there. But um, I believe. So um but you know, I spent most of the first day there by myself, not really knowing what to do. And I remember going back to my hotel room and just needing to cool off and feeling really sad because I felt like I didn't know yeah. what to do. And then there was like a dice tower event that night and I actually met other people. And, you know, then I will actually forever be grateful to Mike Delisio, Dan Hughes, and the Brothers Murph, that group, because they kind of adopted me enough that when they saw me around and they were playing a game, hey, do you want to join this game with Metro X? Hey, do you want to pop into this game? And just having somebody that I knew, that I knew I could get an occasional game with really helped. And then everything got better. Yeah. Everything got better. It is it is tricky being at a convention um, solo, um, just because I think... Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because people there are also on their vacation. You know, they came there because they want to play that game or they want to have the ideal experience. So like on one hand, you shouldn't demand that they, you know, stop playing with their friends to, to talk to you. But as somebody who, you know, on several occasions, um, you know, there's however many hundred tables in the middle of this giant amphitheater, um, and I will just like walk up and down the, the aisles to see what people are playing in free play. And I'll stand next to a group for, you know, watch several turns and nobody talks to me, you know, um, 
And I don't know. I think that is, I wish it was like the exception to the rule, but I think most people are, are um, very engaged in their, their own game and their, their own friends and um, which is fine. But I think it, it doesn't take a lot to just say like, Oh yeah, we're playing whatever. It's really fun. You know, even though that's a, a, um, a closed ended comment that doesn't really invite a response, you're at least kind of um, acknowledging their presence. (laughs) Um, And again, like I said, not making them feel like an annoyance, you know, you don't want to stop at every group and a hundred tables and feel like they are bristling at your presence, you know? So um, yeah, just, you know, again, as, as teachers, we're very touchy feely and, you know, we think a lot about how hard it is to be an adolescent or a middle schooler or whatever. And, so like a lot of times when we're walking through the hallways, like we just say, Hey, to kids, like for no reason, or, you know, like, how's your day going? And, you know, it's, it's not cause we, you know, we really want to know <laughs> uh, it's cause maybe like, <laughs> we might be like the only person who has talked to that kid all day, you know, like they might have a, a really bad home situation or they might be constantly bullied. Like you don't know, people's situations and if me saying like hey man i like that shirt is the most positive interaction for a kid like over the course of the day like you know i'll i will take it you know um so you just never know like what little thing can can really make somebody's con or um give them the the courage to ask if they can play you know um the next game or ask for your email or twitter or whatever to see if you want to play a game later um yeah, just, you know, just one sentence. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to give up your whole day to somebody, yeah. but, you know, you see them, you acknowledge them. I think that's a good thing. All right, so uh, I have taken up a lot of y'all's time. Uh, so concluding thoughts, and then I'll ask where we can all find y'all on the internet. So um, what I've got out of this conversation, personally, is that, you know, if you are thinking about gaming in the role of a teacher and the role of somebody who's facilitating gaming for other people, you can't let it be all about you and you need to be centering other people's experiences. Would y'all have anything to add to that? Um, I think uh, always have a backup, <laughs> always have a backup game. Um, generally a shorter, lighter version maybe of, of what you were teaching. Um, and then uh, also, nope, that's it. That's the only one. <laughs> I did not have a backup comment. I should have had a backup comment. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess the final thought for me is be ready to scrap a game. If no one's having fun, be ready to change the way you're teaching a game. If people aren't engaged with it, just be flexible. uh, So everyone can have a good time. Yes. And the priority is having a good time, which I've had with y'all tonight. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Eric, uh, where can people find you on the internet? And is there anything you want to plug about yourself? Sure. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Slauson Designs. That's S-L-A-U-S-O-N Designs. Um, I have a couple games out. I have Tattoo Stories. uh, That's a party game uh, by Bicycle. Um, that's on Amazon. That's on their website. Um, I have nerd word science, which is a, a science party game, uh, that was, uh, designed, uh, at genius games. Uh, which is a great, uh, uh, educational game company. That is, uh, the games are fun primarily. And then 
they happen to be educational. Um, but Nerdward Science is on Amazon and uh, the Genius Games website. Um, and then I have a another party game coming out later this year called Monstrosity. Um, it's like monstrosity but with draw in the middle um and that uh is available for pre-order at the Deepwater games uh website um and you can google all of those and find youtube videos and see if that's something you might enjoy fantastic mike i'm with the one-stop co-op shop so go check out our youtube channel our uh, podcast every sunday uh, we have a slack we have a what is it discord <laughs> Facebook page, you know, we're, we're, we're in all those places. So yeah, one-stop co-op shop. Uh, that's the best place to find me for all those fun gaming things. And I can be found anywhere on the internet as Beyond Solitaire. So thank you all so much for listening. And thank you, Mike and Eric, for coming on here with me tonight. Yeah, it was our pleasure. Well, I shouldn't talk thank for you, you, Eric. It, it was definitely my pleasure. <laughs> I did. I did enjoy this. So yes. Happy gaming, everybody.